Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, it's good to be with you here today on Agriculture of America, AOA. Thanks for joining us. I know my coffee cup is ready and full for a lot of great conversations here today on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. As uh, coming up on the show here today, we're going to talk in just a minute with the president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, Dan Glessing. Coming up in segment two, we'll have a conversation with John Sandbocket from the National Sunflower Association. At the bottom of the hour, we'll talk with Andy Campbell from Tractor Zoom. Got to get an update on this uh, equipment market. What is Andy seeing out there as we near the end of the year? He's got uh, a list of things to talk about with us coming up here uh, later on in the program. And then in segment four, we're going to talk with Dr. Andrew Marganot with the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. He is helping lead research to develop a new phosphate fertilizer uh, I saw this come across my desk the other day and very uh, curious to hear more about that. So looking forward to that discussion coming up here at the end of today's show. Powered as well, not only by the uh, coffee in my cup here today, but also brought to you by Sedex Premium Diesel. With Sedex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Well, first up, let's... Uh, Head over and uh, have a conversation with Minnesota Farm Bureau President Dan Glessig joining us here on AOA today. Dan, it's good to catch up with you again. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, we did. It was uh, kind of one of those things. It was time to catch up because the uh, harvest was a little late, but uh, did take time to eat, but then got back out for some tillage. Well, that's a... Uh... That's a good thing. Took a little time to eat and trying to finish up some of that fall field work. Well, I should congratulate you as well. I know you were reelected to serve a new uh, two-year term as president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau. As you guys uh, said, a lot of your policy issues uh, for the upcoming year here uh, back early in the month of November. And uh, let's catch up on that because I know we had you on during that uh, that meeting. And let's talk about some of these priorities. I know the Minnesota State Legislative Session is going to be a short one this year. A lot of issues, though, that Farm Bureau is advocating for on behalf of its members. So talk about that a little bit for us, Dan. Yeah, certainly last session was was a marathon, and um, over 6,700 bills were introduced. I think it was 6,778. So 6,778 bills were introduced last year, um, and, and certainly some of those were not favorable for agriculture, one being board of animal health expansion um putting people that don't know anything about animal husbandry or animal health on there uh, that board has a lot of power and so we were able to kind of knock that one back but it, it sounds like that one's coming back again this year um certainly when when you're talking uh, on the on the farm bureau side of things our members are are really what helps tell those stories and and i would encourage any of our our members listening to get out to those days on the hill because that does make a difference. It's going to be a shorter session, but I don't think there's going to be any shortage of of uh, our need to tell that story of what's affecting us on our farms and ranches. And we can, we as uh, you know, staff and then myself can uh, can tell the story, but it's far more impactful when those members get to get to the capital and, and share those those firsthand knowledge um, with legislators. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Having your voice heard is so, so important. Talk about some of uh, your other top priority issues uh, during the legislative session. I, I know as you guys have been talking a lot about beginning and emerging farmers, uh, for one, so maybe start there, Dan. Yeah, certainly. After after our annual meeting, we as a board of directors sit down and kind of determine what our priority issues are going to be. Um, kind of feeling the climate of what's in St. Paul and, and D.C., as well as what we're hearing from our members. And, and beginning and, and uh, emerging farmers is a, a topic that continues to come up. Uh, we've had it on a priority list for, for several years now. And it is, how do we get those young or beginning farmers into agriculture? We had some, uh, we adopted some policy at our annual meeting, basically expanding that, that uh, age limit or that age requirement um, because there were some some situations where family dynamics maybe had somebody who wanted to come in but 
but he didn't necessarily um, be there full time. And now that, that those family dynamics have changed, um, you know, he technically wouldn't qualify for the the young and beginning farmer um, loans and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we 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 adopted language that would expand that, and, and so um, so that's encouraging. Uh, you know, of course. We've got some other rural vitality is another priority issue, which that that's a big that's a big pot. Uh, whether it's rural mental health issues, uh, you know nine nine eight eight is the suicide hotline. Make sure if you're if you're dealing with mental health, make sure you call that number. But um, we want to make sure that there's access to to help there. Uh, other things in that rural vitality would be workforce development and. Uh, um, housing, childcare availability, things that you wouldn't necessarily think uh, agriculture would be a, a part of, but we do need strong communities that, that we, we can grow our kids in. Um, and you know, obviously the, the person at the tire shop fixing the tires is just as important as the feed shed, as, as important as the farmer on the farm. So mm-hmm. um, we want to make sure that those communities and that rural vitality maintains uh, uh, its strength and actually grows. What about sustainability, Dan? I believe you and I talked about that as something you guys were discussing at your annual meeting. Is that a priority as well for the Minnesota Farm Bureau right now? Yeah, absolutely. And and when we're talking about that, you know, for soil health, for instance, let's make sure that those those um, practices are voluntary and incentive based, uh, because there is a lot of uh, risk when you're when you're trying something new on your land just to uh, trying to improve it as much as you can. We've, we've come light years and we're doing a lot of great things, but you always try new things just to, to, to better yourself. Cause if you're not bettering yourself, you're, you're kind of sitting still and that, that in today's environment doesn't, uh, doesn't bode well for, for uh, long-term success as a business. Well, to your point earlier, Dan, I, again, I think it comes back to not only is, uh, you know, the Minnesota Farm Bureau, you guys are advocating in your state and other state farm bureaus, I know we're doing the same and other ag groups, but uh, members and, and farmers and ranchers having their voice heard, strength in numbers definitely goes a long way when it comes to various legislative priorities and others, doesn't it, Dan? Oh, absolutely. And I can't emphasize enough the 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 importance of that um, because I've more than once been in a room where a, a member shares a story with a certain legislator and later on either that session or that day um, they go into into a, a hearing and repeat that story. I just had a farmer in my office saying this and that's that really is uh, what gives Farm Bureau its strength. It's grassroots, it's it's those those farmers on the out in the landscape uh, telling their stories and, and making a change, really. Well, you can stay up to date with what's going on with the Minnesota Farm Bureau online, fbmn.org. We've been talking with their president, Dan Glessing. Dan, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. Dan Glessing there with the Minnesota Farm Bureau joining us here today on AOA. All right, up next, we are going to talk about sunflowers. We'll get an update with John Sandbocket from the National Sunflower Association here on AOA, powered by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Back with more right after this. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The archaeological records suggest that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from 
Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. <sighs> hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today. Brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Joining us now, the Executive Director of the National Sunflower Association, John Sandbachen, is with us here today on the show. John, it's great to catch up with you again. I hope you're doing well. Well, I'm doing well, Jesse. Hope you are also, and thank you for having me on your program today. I'm doing great. I am doing great. Let's talk about sunflowers, and I think just to start, let's talk about how harvest has been going and uh, wrapping things up here this year. Looks like we're pretty much at the finish line here with uh, you know, most of the other crops across the country as well. Uh, talk about where harvest progress sits right now. Well, you know, we started a little bit slower this year. In, in the Dakotas and Minnesota, we had a pretty big snowstorm uh, middle of October. And so that kind of stopped us for, you know, for a couple of weeks there because it, it was just really wet, muddy, and, and just difficult field conditions for, for guys to get out there and, and get the crop. But, you know, once, once things got rolling, um, you know, yields have been just excellent. I mean, above expectations in most cases. Um, you know, we, we've had, I'd say the average is that 2,000 to 2,500 pound level and um, you know, mo most people, they're shooting for a ton when they're out there. And we've even had cases, you know, it's not uncommon to see 3,000 pound yields in some places. Uh, we, we had a producer in Minnesota that was over 4,000 pounds on dry land. So wow. just really an impressive crop this year. It sounds like an impressive crop. And thinking about those uh, yields and the quality, too, uh, talk about that crop quality. It sounded to me, we were chatting before. Uh, we came back on the air. It sounds like better than expected here this year, John. You know, our, our test weights have been, you know, right, right around average, maybe even a little bit above average in most cases. And, um, you know, as far as any kind of, you know, FM, the foreign material, that's been really low. Um, what, what's been really, really exciting is the oil content this year. Um, it's not uncommon to be at a 50% oil level, which, you know, that would have been unheard of just years ago. And I, I've been here you know, 28 years. And this year, the oil content on average is averaging over 45%. And I've never seen it that high. I mean, it's it just like, a, you know, it just just shows you how great genetics have, have improved, you know, over the last few years. Um, and that's I know what, what the hybrid seed companies are breeding for is to add that oil content, because, you know, sunflower is the only crop that pays a premium on oil content. So for every 1% over 40 that you are, you know, you're going to get a 2% price premium and that can really add up, at, you know, and help out your bottom line. 
Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, looking at that bottom line, looking at the markets as well, and looking at some of the, uh, the crush, uh, considerations, et cetera, et cetera. I, I know markets, uh, with the way things have been looking here, things are, are looking pretty good on that side too, aren't they, John? Well, you know, we're not at the levels we were, you know, a year ago because obviously with with Russia invading Ukraine, that really just prices just kind of, you know, just skyrocketed, you know. But we're we're back sure. down to those probably those normal levels. Um, seed deliveries have been a little heavy at the crush plants. Uh, you know, we we had a record sized crop last year, and this year another decent crop, and so. And we've had some harvest pressure here the last, last couple of months, but that that that's normal. That happens. Um, it's one of those things where we just have to get the market to use the crop to get it crushed and, you know, go ahead and start moving some of those stocks. How about logistics as far as getting things uh, to town and, and moving it out beyond that? Seems like all logistics have been uh, have been fairly good on the on the rail and the truck side. I know we've had river issues, but the rail and the truck side here seems like things are doing okay there too, aren't they, John? You know, definitely for us. We, you know, we mainly move our crop by by truck and by rail. Um, you yeah. know, especially you know for those products. And so you know, thank God. You know, I feel like. It's an unfortunate situation for those for the guys that you know that are you know worried about you know river traffic things like that. So um, that would be a huge concern. But you know, thank God for our crop that that isn't a concern. We're talking with John Sambachan, executive director of the National Sunflower Association, here today on AOA. John, uh, as we uh, think about that crop looking really good here, as we round out harvest, let's turn our attention to some other issues policy-wise. Farm bill, of course. Uh, I know we got the extension of the 2018 farm bill, giving us a little more time to work on the new five-year farm bill. Uh, get us up to speed on some thoughts from the National Sunflower Association's perspective in terms of uh, that farm bill extension and working on a new one. Well, you know, one of the things, that, a couple of things we've been advocating in, in, in the farm bill, you know, from the whole, from the beginning is, you know, crop insurance is so important to all producers. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who can really go without crop insurance right now and feel safe, you know, and sleep well at night. And so one, one of the, the angles that we have promoted for the next farm bill is to increase the, the subsidy level that so producers can buy up a higher coverage and have better coverage on their crop. You know, and I know a lot of those guys, they're probably in that 65, 70% coverage range, but, you know, you'd be better off if you can get up in that 80, you know, 75, 80% range. You can have obviously much better coverage. And it probably is going to make your banker feel a little bit better too, you know, if you do have that insurance. So that's one of the things we have really pushed. Uh, another thing that we have been pushing is the increasing reference prices. Uh, you know, the prices of, of most commodities have increased so greatly and, and production costs. I mean, when, when you think about where fertilizer and chemical and land rents and all that comes into play, you know, the current reference prices that we're seeing for most commodities is just not, you know, where, where it should be given what, what producers are experiencing. So we, we've been advocating for higher reference prices, um, at least at least a 10% increase, you know, to, to try to get that up there somewhat. And so that's one of our main thing. The other thing, and this is something new, um, we've also been trying to advocate for money for a sunflower breeding initiative. We, we've had a lot of consolidation in our industry. A lot of the hybrid seed companies have merged or have, you know, have, have, have gone out of the business. And so what we're advocating for is to get more money into the USDA Agricultural Research Service program to help work on developing better hybrids that they can then give to the hybrid seed companies to produce commercially. And, you know, a, a lot of the seed that, that is being produced right now, it's, it's grown for, for a bigger markets. It's, it's, it's seed that there are plants that are being developed for Russia or Ukraine or some of these larger countries. And so for us, you know, we're, we're kind of getting left behind a little bit. And so this is a way for us to get hybrids developed that, that fit North America, that fit the Great Plains region, you know. And so that's something that we've been advocating for. And, you know, we, it would just be a great boost, uh, you know, to have more varieties out there and, and have more opportunities for growers. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think something as well uh, that could be slightly related. I, I love every week I get the sunflower highlights uh, to my email, and I noticed here this week's uh, highlights, uh, looking for a uh, call for papers for the uh, National Sunflower Association's research forum that's going to be coming up in January in Fargo, North Dakota. Talk about that a little bit. I know the uh, submissions deadline's coming up here in just a, a little over a week. Well, you know, at, at NSA, we fund a lot of research, you know, and that's key to everything is we're going to do as a crop. Obviously, we've got to find better ways to fight insects or better ways to control disease or 
come up with better agronomic practices that, that will make the crop more profitable. And with our research forum, what we do is all of the researchers that we fund, and then even those that, that we don't fund, but they do work on sunflower research, it's our annual gathering where they can come and present results of the work that they've done in the previous year uh, to kind of give producers and industry members an idea of, of, you know, things that are coming down the pipeline or progress that they're making as far as improving, you know, things as far as for growing sunflower. And so it's just a great event. Um, you know, if your producers want to come, they're more than welcome. I think it's a great opportunity to learn what's going on in the industry, you know, on the research side of thing and see, see what's coming down the pipe. Well, and again, that research forum coming up January 10th and 11th in Fargo, North Dakota. And I'm sure, John, folks can get more information about that and uh, everything else going on with the Sunflower Association uh, on your website, can't they, John? You know, definitely. That, that, that is our main source of information at sunflowernsa.com. Um, it's, it's your information source for everything Sunflower, and it would be the place I suggest people to go to sunflowernsa.com john uh, we got about a minute before we uh, run out of time in this segment any final thoughts for us anything else uh, that we want to keep an eye on in terms of uh, the sunflower industry right now well you know i i think this is going to be an interesting year in the year ahead i mean you know it's it's something where you know most commodity prices are, are probably not in that same position we were a year or two years ago and it, it's going to be a year where i think producers are going to have to sit down and really you know really calculate what crops are the most profitable for them? You're going to have to pencil things out and, you know, just, you know, you're going to have to look at it because a lot of things have changed here in the, even just the last few months. So I would just suggest that producers take some time and make sure they put together a good plan. Well, get that, uh, that harvest wrapped up here and uh, sit down and make that plan as we near the end of the year. And again, you can stay up to date with everything going on uh, with the National Sunflower Association online, sunflowernsa.com. With that, Executive Director of the National Sunflower Association, John Sandbach. And John, always great to have you on the show with us. Thanks so much for joining me, and uh, have a great one. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jesse. And again, John Sandbach in there, the Executive Director of the National Sunflower Association, joining us here on AOA today. All right, coming up next, we're going to shift gears and talk about what's going on in the ag equipment market what's happening on the auction side and at dealers and much more as we near the end of the year. We're going to get an update from Andy Campbell at Tractor Zoom. He is going to join us here on the other side of the break on AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, which comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete bird to optimize performance in all engines. Back to more right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains and oil seeds are mostly lower this morning. Livestock is hovering around unchanged. Soybeans are the loss leader in the grains today. They posted double-digit losses overnight as rain scheduled to begin falling in dry areas of center-west Brazil continue to move forward in the forecast to this weekend. Prices went into the morning pause, sitting just above key levels of chart support, so today's action will be critical for the market. Otherwise, the grain and oilseed markets continue to face headwinds from the predominant commodity deflation environment that we are still in. With this week's short covering rally running out of steam overnight in the corn and wheat markets, fundamentally, these markets still lack a story to justify a complete reversal in positions by the funds. OPEC has also decided to increase the current round of cuts to roughly 2.2 million barrels per day as we start 2024 in just a month, but the market is so far unimpressed 
That would put cuts at more than 5 million barrels per day. The cuts resting primarily on eight members of the cartel, including a million barrels already being voluntarily cut by Saudi Arabia, and that will roll into the new year. The need for these cuts emphasizes the problem with global demand, but it also shines a spotlight on the shrinking influence on the cartel on controlling prices. First, there is a reason to question the effectiveness of the quotas and whether various members are cheating the system. Saudi Arabia has done a good job of controlling the cartel over the past several years, but cheating does tend to increase when members start hurting and they start questioning the effectiveness of the quotas to support prices. The war is also resumed in the Gaza Strip after the recent ceasefire. Global factory activity remains weak with particular focus on China this morning while the world adjusts to a higher interest rate environment. The VIX, though, is trading near 13 this morning. That's reflecting a lack of panic on Wall Street, while the dollar is modestly higher, and crude oil prices are about 1% higher this morning. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on. And we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here today on Agriculture of America AOA, brought to you by our friends at Cenex. Cenex Premium Diesels like Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster. They have those everyday products that are powered locally. Find your nearest Cenex location just around the corner, or you can search online at Cenex.com. Well, joining us now here on the program as we talk about what is hot, what is not in the equipment market. Andy Campbell, Director of Insights at Tractor Zoom, is with us here on AOA today. Andy, good to catch up with you, my friend. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. How are you doing, Jesse? You know, I'm doing good. My coffee cup is full and uh, enjoyed another uh, great day of conversations here on the show. Hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving. And uh, as we are looking now at the end of the year, hard to believe it's December already. So talk to me, what is hot in this ag equipment market? And I guess I should say, you know, let's start with if someone's looking to sell something, what are the good opportunities out there if someone's looking to sell right now? Yeah, yeah, I'd say there's a couple bright spots that you're looking to sell, and uh, it's really due to the supply and demand effect. Uh, planters are the first one. You know, planters didn't quite suffer as big of a, you know, returning supply whiplash that we saw with other pieces. So the values continue to remain high at auctions that we've been tracking so far. And so we've had a lot of dealer auctions come across. There's a lot more to watch. But specifically, I did a study on, you know, Deer's 1775 NT with exact emerge, Case IH's 1250 with early riser. All those sales that I've been watching have been in line with recent sales results from, you know, earlier this year past last year. So with planters, I think if you're going to sell, you're still probably going to get top dollar out there. The one caveat would probably be with row units. You know, I think it's going to be tough to get out of those what you put into them, especially as more farmers go to an electric drive, you know, any kind of precision planting. So just be aware of that, that, you know, piecing out those row units uh, might be a little difficult. You know, the other thing that I think is a potential good opportunity to sell right now are self-propelled sprayers. You know, and with these guys, I've been watching the supply mount on them. There are about 50% more of these in the market right now than there were a year ago at this time. But the values, I don't even think, have peaked yet. Uh, they're still as high as they were earlier in the year. And we've been doing similar studies with these, just like the other dealer markets. 
Uh, I know HW sold a bunch last week. Van Wall's going to be selling a bunch next week. A lot of other dealers are really trying to move these things. But the market is still high. And so I think if you've got a you know, self-propelled sprayer that you want to trade uh, or sell, I think there's still opportunity to do that out there. All right. Trading, selling. What about if someone's looking to buy? Is there opportunity in those same categories or is there something else uh, out there if folks are looking to buy something here before the end of the year, Andy? Yeah. So, you know, compacts are, you know, that's definitely a buy signal right now. It has been for a while. Those things during the pandemic, they were overproduced. And we've been talking about that for some time. You know, you drive to any small dealer, independent lot out there you're gonna see some sitting. Uh, due to that longevity of that supply, we're starting to see a discount showing both at auction and on dealer's lots. So dealer values can be down five to 10%, depending on where you are in the country and what brands you're looking at. Auctions though, we've seen those consistently down 10 to 15% over last year, uh, even more in some cases. I think some people are getting great deals for some compact tractors at auction uh, if you're looking. But, you know, those are compacts, so if you need that extra tool that's out there, you might save a few thousand dollars. The mm -hmm. big savings could potentially come from combines, though. Uh, and I've got to give a, a special shout-out to Kevin out at Hoover, Inc. in Pennsylvania. He helped me set up a study where we looked at just one-year-old S780s with four-wheel drive, with duels, a pretty, like, finite subset of, of pieces here. And we tracked those last year to see how they were valuing and then, we're, again, we're tracking them this year, one-year-old pieces, to see how they're doing. And it's been interesting to follow this because early in the year, you know, there's a sale in March, $14,000 14, above 2022 values, which is still pretty high. But July hit. And then you've got $50,000 below value, uh, a couple sales that were right in line with Trendline. But then August hit, and you start to see some cracks in it. You start to see sales go for $50,000 less. You know, September hit, and we're starting to see some sales drop almost eighty to you know fifty to eighty thousand dollars less. And so we're really starting to see that market degrade, especially for those S780s. You know, there's still some really good ones out there. Hudson had a an auction recently, and some sold pretty much right where I'd expect them to, um, but some sold maybe forty to fifty thousand dollars below. So I think if you're looking, you know, uh, from a farmer standpoint and a strategic standpoint, if they're looking to upgrade combines, now might be the chance even if they want to add maybe two to their fleet, if they can't really upgrade to a, a class nine or a class 10 combine, this might be the year to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know Andy too. I mean, typically you get towards the end of the year, a lot of farmers, uh, they get wrapped up with harvest. They're really, they, they sit down, they take a look at the books. They might maybe talk with their tax person and a tax person might say, Hey, you need to, you need to make a purchase, you know, here or there, whatever the case may be. I, I feel like the end of the year, December could typically be a pretty busy time, both at the dealership and on the auction market traditionally, uh, when we're looking at buying and selling can it, Andy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's always a busy time. Uh, you know, when we watch volume, you see a lot move in, in August, but you see a tremendous amount move this time of year you know, November to December, but I will say that we've seen more volume and probably more dollars, you know, move in November and now what we anticipate in December than we've ever seen before. There's just a huge incentive mm. with higher interest rates for dealers to move those off their lot. That's a, a huge cost to them if they have to sit on those machines for another two, six, maybe even 12 months. Uh, they need to move those things out. We are talking with Director of Insights at Tractor Zoom, Andy Campbell. Andy, what about row crop tractors? I know you and I have talked about that uh, the last couple of times uh, you've been on the show. Give us an update there. What are we seeing on the row crop tractor front? Yeah, uh, you know, like last time that we talked, I was saying supply is mounting, something is going to happen, and, and something is certainly happening right now. You can't define this market with one blanket statement. It's really starting to show the uh, – the different segments of farmers, I think, that are out there and how well they did this year and how well they anticipate to do next year. But on the supply side, low hour late models are in oversupply. You know, if you're looking for a Magnum or especially like an 8R, there are many of these out there and you can get some great deals if that's the right kind of tractor for your operation. Uh, so if, you know, depending on if you're a buyer or a seller, a sweet spot though are larger, 
pre-death model row crop tractors. You know, there was one in particular that I watched earlier this week. It was in Indiana, uh, an older model, 98, 8,300 with 4,500 hours on it. It sold for 135000 And to put that in context, that was $20,000 more than what a near de- nearby dealership was selling it for. Uh, and that tractor at the dealership had 1,000 less hours on it. And so it still brought that amount of money at auction. I think there's still a lot of hype built into these pre-death models that are easy to work on, uh, that are just workhorses. And, uh, and there's not just as many of those. And so people are really tr- starting to chase those. But you've got your low-hour models that are a bit oversupply. You know, granted, that price has been jacked up quite a bit over the last couple of years. But I think you're starting to see those prices for those low-hour lift models come down closer to an attainable, you know, realistic level. Well, Andy, uh, talk to me a little bit about the TractorZoom.com website. You know, we talk about all these different things that are are moving in the ag equipment market. And I know your guys' website uh, is kind of a one-stop shop, so to speak, in terms of keeping up to date with, with auctions and what's trending and what's not. And I know it's very easy for people to sign up and, and use your guys' website. So talk about that a, a little bit for us and how folks can – Find more information. Yeah, yeah, tractorzoom.com. We built it so that farmers can easily go there, find what they need, but also, you know, and for me farming myself, I just don't have the time or always the wherewithal to be following every single market all over the place. And so we designed it not only easy to browse, but easy to save searches and also track our current equipment's value. So we're using it for succession planning right now to you know, I put my equipment in there, find a relative third-party values, just so we know that for planning. But then also, we're looking for a new tractor right now. And so I can go in there and save a search of a particular horsepower, make, model, tractor that I'm looking for. And I, then I just get an email when they're on a dealer's lots nearby, when they're coming up for auction. And so when deals like we're happening right now come available, I'm at least aware of them. And I don't have to spend all the time, you know, constantly scrolling through uh a browser trying to find what I need. Yeah, you guys make it very, very easy. Again, online, tractorzoom.com for more information. Andy, uh, we got about a minute here before we wrap it up in this segment. Anything final you would share or reiterate with folks today? Yeah, I, you know, I've had a lot of conversations recently with farmers, lenders, equipment dealers, and I've got to say right now, the excitement that I'm seeing out there, it's it's probably only matched by what we saw two years ago, except now it's a unique blend of curiosity and, and some people are downright terrified, you know, whether you're a buyer or seller, what's going to happen to these markets. The cost is significantly higher for a lot of farmers. That's compounded with higher interest rates, plus the challenges farmers are seeing out there with subscription fees, parts, upgrade kits. A lot of those, that extra cost really is starting to make people uh, change the thinking of the game from you know, a couple of years ago, it's could you find it? And now it's a little bit more of can you afford it and is it the right thing for your operation? And so what I've really just stressed and what I've seen from a lot of farmers and, and strategic thinkers out there is can I get something that will fit my operation for the next few years that is right priced or can I maybe, like I said with combines, get two combines that are slightly older at uh, the right kind of price for my operation and have a little bit of that redundancy. So I'm seeing farmers start to make those strategic decisions now uh, and really set themselves up for success here going forward in the next few years because it's now is a unique yeah. time in this equipment market that I don't think we'll see again. Definitely. Andy Campbell, Director of Insights at Tractor Zoom. Thanks for joining us on AOA, Andy. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back with more on AOA brought to you by Cenex right after this. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids right here in our own backyard are facing hunger every day? Without healthy food, it's harder to grow, to thrive, to feel their best. The impact when children don't have enough to eat is tremendous because when you're hungry and your basic needs aren't being met, you cannot learn. Every child deserves to be fed. This is a problem we know how to solve. Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. 
Breakfast in the classroom contributes to kids being more focused, which leads to higher grades, and simply just their well-being. Thank you! Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at helpnokidhungry.org. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Lance Kennington, an animal nutrition specialist with CHS, about winter feeding tips for beef cows in preparation for calving. Lance, what feed and minerals will benefit cows leading up to winter and calving? Cows need increased amounts of energy, protein, vitamins, and minerals prior to calving. And when you feed a balanced diet in the last trimester of pregnancy, You help the cow have a strong calf and also prepare for the next year's pregnancy. So good quality hay, silage, grain, byproducts, and commercial supplements are routinely used to create a balanced diet. Well, are there different nutrition strategies for seasoned cows and first calf heifers that producers should consider? Unlike mature cows, first calf heifers are still growing. And so after calving, they have to draw on their reserves to repair the reproductive tract to produce milk for the newborn calf and continue to grow to their physiological maturity. The best way to ensure that first calf heifers can do all this and rebreed is to manage them separately from mature cows. They are better able to compete for available resources. Well, how can producers get the most bang from their nutrition buck to optimize performance in their cow-calf herd? use your farm or ranch resources to their optimum efficiency. So all hay and silage needs to be sent to the lab and analyzed for its nutrient content and then supplemented with protein, vitamins, and minerals that will meet the animal's nutrient requirements. Our nutrition consultants in the company help producers do that every day. I'd also suggest that you have your water tested so that you know what's in it and if you need to make any adjustments to the diet based on the water quality. That's Lance Kennington with CHS joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And as we continue here on AOA, Agriculture of America program today, brought to you by SEDEX Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Want to learn more about new research uh, being done by the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign looking at a new uh, ammonium phosphate fertilizer, and we want to talk about this a little more in depth. 
Joining us now uh, to discuss Dr. Andrew Marganot, Associate Professor of Soil Science with the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us here on the program today. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me, Jesse. I'm well, thanks. I hope you're well as well. Well, I appreciate it. Let's dive in. Tell us a little bit more about this new research. I mentioned a new form of ammonium phosphate fertilizer. It's been field tested by you guys there at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Tell us exactly what this is and, and what you guys are working on. Sure thing. So we've been working on a form of phosphorus called struvite. Uh, that, that's a German word named after the person who discovered it in German sewers, sorry, sewage systems. What is struvite? It is magnesium ammonium phosphate. And the ratio of nitrogen to phosphorus is almost the same as monoammonium phosphate, MAP. So basically, I think of struvite as a as MAP with magnesium tacked on. And that magnesium, when you add it to the compound, it makes it less water soluble, but it's still dissolvable by root exudates of crops like corn, soybean. This is good because it means that you, when you add struvite as a pea source, it won't dissolve right away like MAP or DAP would. Um, it'll dissolve in greater synchrony with the crop roots. More crop roots are present, more root exudates, more dissolution. It also means that you could fall apply your pea source and it won't dissolve right away and be susceptible to washing off, leaching or runoff. And that's just an economic loss to the farmer, but also impacts on water quality. Well, and I was just going to say some of those impacts on water quality and the sustainability aspect of this here. I know, I know that's a, that's a key uh, reason why you guys are, are, are looking at this research, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, a brief history of struvite here. It was discovered by a German sewage chemist. Um, I'm not sure how he did that, but that was in the 1850s. And there was some work in California for uh, tomato production in 1950s on struvite. But really, there's a bit of a renaissance going on with this uh, phosphorus compound. Um, and a lot of that has been driven by the interest in point sources like wastewater treatment plants or ethanol plants trying to decrease their emissions of phosphate in their effluent. So the idea is that the feds and states are telling these point sources, you, you can't emit more than X amount of phosphate, figure it out. And one way of doing that is to precipitate, to basically make the phosphate come out of the water in a mineral form. And if you add lots of magnesium to the wastewater, you can drive that chemical process forward. And then you can just rake up the struvite pellets that precipitate. That's a simplification, but that's the idea. So this is being mm -hmm. driven largely by wastewater treatment plants trying to clean up their water. And in the same stroke, they're producing a local fertilizer that is a pretty good source of phosphorus as well as nitrogen as an ammonium phosphate. Well, I know traditionally a lot of farmers, they apply MAP or DAP in the fall to give phosphorus to their crops and you know let it sit there through the winter months and get into the spring. Uh, talk about... Uh, with struvite, some of the benefits that we could see here as far as, you know, crop health and helping our crops in the spring, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what are some of the things you found there in some of the field tests? Sure thing. So I just referred to there, that there are benefits uh, of struvite for the point sources. But then when we reuse it as a fertilizer in the non-point source sphere, which just means agriculture, um, that there's also benefits for keeping it in the field. And that's good economically as a, you know, as the investment stays there of fertilizer dollars, but also it can improve water quality on farm. So we did a few studies uh, funded by the Illinois Nutrient Research and Education Council, NREC, where we looked at uh, the leaching of nitrogen as nitrate and phosphate from different fall applied pea sources. We looked at MAP, DAP, triple superphosphorus as well, and then struvite. And what we expected was that because struvite won't dissolve right away, especially if it's fall applied, given the absence of growing crop roots, you'll hold tight onto that nitrate and phosphate, and it won't really uh, be caught as leaching. In contrast, when MAP or DAP are added, you dissolve the ammonium that rapidly converts to nitrate, and that's quite mobile. And there's evidence that you can lose up to two thirds of your fall applied nitrogen from MAP or DAP come springtime. So what we found was, as expected, we lost almost all of our fall applied nitrogen from MAP or DAP. And for struvite, we lost quite a bit less. 
There's also less phosphate leaching that we saw under struvite compared to MAP or DAP. So long story short, struvite helps keep, as we expected, the N and P in the soil for the crop that following spring after a fall application. So Andrew, where do we go from here in terms of uh, maybe using struvite in a wider application? I'm sure more research, things like that. But uh, where do we go from here at this point? That's a great question. So I see two major areas. One is more research to make sure that there's no yield drag risk. I bring this up because there's been some evidence that in very P-deficient soils, using struvite may not be able to meet crop phosphorus needs. But we're talking levels that would be for Olson, for folks farming um, alkaline ground, Olson P-values of under 10 or even 8 ppm. And then for Melik or Bray, we're talking less than like 10 ppm. So we're talking pretty P-deficient soils. I think most farmers aren't letting their, their, their fields drop that low. So if you've got adequate amounts of P by soil test, struvite is a fine source. So one question we have is, well, what's that threshold where there might be a bit of a yield drag risk for annual cropping systems? That's research-based. And for that, I think we have to do more on-farm work. Second uh, next step would be uh, trying to scale the engineering of struvite. So struvite is not produced on a huge scale. Um, it couldn't currently be a large substitute. That is changing in Europe uh, because of mandates by the EU. There's a lot more work by Germans specifically on trying to scale up the production. In this country, in, well, rather in the U.S. and in Canada, we've got uh, companies such as Ostera uh, who are in the business of marketing struvite. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of progress made in the coming years on upscaling the production of this uh, novel phosphate product. Okay, great stuff. I know folks can learn more about the research, aces.illinois.edu. Dr. Andrew Marganot with University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. It's been great to be here. All right, we're out of time on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA Agriculture of America. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. In Iraq, our truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm. And my electrical was deemed unsafe. And I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go in order to get help. And so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is a safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes. And Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families. And it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and want to see us do well and want to see us succeed. And we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more.